Portions of Native Roots Radio may be pre-recorded. It's a good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, victors. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Hey, Bujuanin relatives. This is Ogamaganuakwe. I'm here with Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and uh, we're—excuse uh, <clears throat> me—we're live on the air, uh, coming in from Central Minnesota, and uh, we welcome everybody uh, to the show today. I um, usually kick off with the news here on Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and um, the big statement uh, for news everywhere is that after 30 years, uh, Winona LaDuke has uh, stepped down or resigned her position as executive director of the environmental justice group uh, Honor the Earth. Um, Honor the Earth was co-founded with the India Go Girls and Winona LaDuke 30 years ago, and she submitted her letter of resignation as the co-executive director to Honor the Earth five uh, board members on May, or excuse me, April 3rd, uh, yesterday on Monday, and the board accepted it unanimously after uh, much discussion. Crystal Tubles uh, began transition work with Honor the Earth last fall after formally joining the organization in 2023 as executive co-director, and she will now assume the sole leadership role at Honor the Earth while LaDuke continues to support the transition. Um, LaDuke stepped down after a Becker County court decision in a sexual harassment case uh, came out with a penalty for $750,000 in punitive damage. Uh, The decision was against Honor the Earth, and it was an eight-year-old sexual harassment court case um, that prior decisions had found um, that there was no wrongdoing, um, but the uh, state agency had later appealed, and uh, the person who appealed, whose name is Margaret Campbell, also known as Molly Campbell, uh, alleged that Honor the Earth had, uh, and Winona, um, had not properly protected her in a sexual harassment case uh, with another employee of Honor the Earth. Um, Honor the Earth initially had a statement on their website stating that previous cases had found no wrongdoing in the alleged harassment case um, and then later reaffirmed that decision, um, you know, after another appeal. Um, but now Winola Duke has put out a formal uh, post stating that she takes responsibility for that mistake. Um, she says that she was um, the executive director and it was her job to create a good foundation to heal and move forward and um, that she had not been accountable uh, to Molly Campbell. She said, I failed Molly Campbell. She was a contract employee and the laws were not clear to me. And for that, I am deeply sorry for the hurt caused to Miss Campbell and for the broader harm that resulted as well. She cites that Honor the Earth was a small organization at the time and they were scarce on resources. And that was a big reason that she was unable to properly handle um, this this case. Um, for those of you who have been following this, uh, you know that there's a lot more to this. And um, you know, it's it's um, definitely something that is kind of being talked about all over the place. You know, um, there's all different kinds of opinions and um, 
information coming out um, about this case. Um, some of it is new information. Some of it is public information that uh, many people maybe weren't aware of until this case came through. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those times of deep train chains um, excuse me, deep change and transition for many organizations. Um, and this lawsuit shook the relationship with the NDN Collective, according to Minnesota Reformer. Um, the NDN Collective is a Indigenous-led advocacy organization, and they contribute funds to honor the earth. And the organization's partnership um, ends in the middle of this month because they said Honor the Earth had violated its grant funding agreement by not notifying them of the little litigation. Litigation. Um, NDN, NDN Collective only learned of this lawsuit after the jury's decision was reported in the in the news. Um, so, I mean, there is some things that point to this being something that um, maybe Honor the Earth did not want people to widely know about. Um, to kind of cover what happened with Margaret Campbell, uh, Margaret Campbell worked for Ani the Earth from 2009 to 2015. She was initially an intern and then a paid employee who was assigned to help uh, develop and um excuse me, assigned to development and special projects. And in 2013, she began working with Michael Dahl, who also joined the staff from the radio station um, operated by the White Earth Land Recovery Project, which is also founded by Winona LaDuke. And uh, Molly alleges that Michael Dahl made sexual remarks and other sexual gestures towards her and others, um, and in some instances in front of other people, and that LeDuc was dismissive of her complaints and um, basically wrote them off saying that he lacked social skills and that he couldn't be held responsible for his words or actions, and even told Campbell at one point that uh, Dahl was not dangerous. And... Um, it's Campbell says that the board members at that time were also dismissive and um, an honor the earth board member notified Campbell that she was being placed on an unpaid administrative leave for speaking about the sexual harassment with a staff member of another organization called the Indigenous Environmental Network, which frequently collaborates with Honor the Earth. And she later received a letter from Winona LaDuke's lawyer, which claimed legal action if she did not stop defaming Honor the Earth and uh, walk away quietly. So these things were put into uh, the legal case that came against Honor the Earth as well. Um, there has been a lot of work um, that happened uh, with Honor the Earth in that time. Um, obviously, these cases have been going on for the past eight years. So I know that the community is really fraught with um, emotion right now about how we continue to move forward in this work and in this community when we perhaps feel we cannot trust those that have been leading um, these organizations and doing um so much of this work, um, and, and, you know, really inspiring the next generation. So, um, you know, I, I'm not even sure how I feel about that. Um, I, I, I don't know what redemption looks like in these cases. And, um, I, I certainly have mixed feelings about how all of this is, um, going. I do, um, think that I agree with a lot of people who are, you know, saying that it was right of Winona LaDuke to retire or to, put in her resignation per se, um, and to issue that apology to, um, Margaret Campbell, but eight years is a long time for an apology. So I, you know, this is just kind of, um, where we're at right now. And I just wanted everybody to know that, um, we're aware of this and, uh, that, 
you know, to keep updated on, on what happens with this. So, um, it looks like I am going to kind of wrap up here because we have our guest who's coming on today. Uh, today we have a special, uh, interviews with, uh, Zoe Allen with, uh, Susan Allen, who's a former Minnesota state representative. And they're both members of Sikonju, Sikonju Lakota, um, and the white earth nation. If we're ready to roll those clips, uh, we can go ahead and roll those clips. Buju relatives, this segment of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Hello, relatives. This is Zoe Allen. I'm um, Sichangu Lakota from the Rosebud Nation, as well as um, Anishinaabe from White Earth. And we're here today talking with my auntie, uh, among many other things, Susan Allen. Um, she's a lawyer. She's a former um, representative in the state. Um, and she's done so many things in her life. And we're just here to talk about what some of those things are. Um, so Susan, if you can just kind of give yourself like a bit more of an introduction, um, maybe talk about what exactly your job is and also whatever else you want to do to introduce yourself. Sure. Thank you, Zoe. Glad to be on. So I'm, I'm uh, Zoe's aunt, auntie, and so I'm from Rosebud. And our family is, um, we're Lakota, Dakota, and uh, Ojibwe as well. So from Yankton and from White Earth, so on both sides of the family. And so we, I grew up mostly in, in um, well, we started out in South Dakota, uh, my brother was born, Joey's dad was born in Eagle Butte, and I was actually born in, on the Ute Reservation in Utah. My sister was born in, in Iowa, Sioux City, um, and then my son was born on the Navajo Reservation. And so... Hey, everybody. We'll be right back with Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. There's a little bit of a teaser today with the uh, interview with uh, Susan Allen, former representative of the state of Minnesota. Uh, stay tuned. Unwanted sexting or photos, inappropriate jokes, even tickling or wrestling can feel like a violation. Catcalling, cornering, or groping, getting them drunk or high for sex, recording sexual acts without permission, hurting someone because of their sexual orientation, ripping a family member, a child, a date, a friend, a stranger. Purchasing a human being for sex, you make the choice every single time. Sexual violence is many things. Make a choice. Do not do it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit MN350.org. The loons are marching in to a new season. Join us Saturday, April 15th at 7.30 p.m. as your loons take on Orlando City SC. Get your tickets today at mnufc.com. 
JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. I'm Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, and you are listening to Native Roots Radio. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. I'm Oga McGinney-McQuay, and today we have a special uh, interview with Zoe Allen and uh, Susan Allen, who's the uh, former Minnesota State Representative. They're both from the Sechanju Lakota Nation and the uh, White Earth Nation here in Minnesota. We'll step right back into that interview again with uh, Zoe Allen and Susan Allen. Welcome back. So we moved around a lot because of my father's job, and... um, Basically, I, I started um, a little later in life going to school. So I, um, I um, had my son when I, I was just turning 20, I believe. And so I waited a little while and I went to M- uh, Minneapolis Community College. Back then it was MCT. And that was a good place to start because um, I think some of us um, are what I would call educationally disadvantaged in the sense that I stopped going to school, I think in the, in high school. So I didn't complete high school, so I got a GED. And so MCT was a great place to start and get caught up. And so, so that's what I did for two years. And then I went to Augsburg and Augsburg has some great programs for native students. Back then it was, there weren't, there were probably about just a handful of us, but Brimmer and Cartwheel pretty much gave us a full ride to go there. Nice. And so, um, so I studied economics there, and um, and math, and then that helped me um, get into law school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because if you can demonstrate that you can handle difficult courses, so so I think that 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 it's sort of a you have to sort of plan early um, about getting into law school. Right, right. And what kind of originally set you on the track to become a lawyer? You said you studied econ. I didn't even know. I'm sure you told me before, but I forgot you studied econ. Um, How did that lead to, yeah, doing the type of law you practice now? And also, could you kind of describe what kind of law you practice? Mm -hmm. Well, getting into law school, not not, um, is difficult, but not impossible. So so I went uh, sort of a... not a traditional route. So I, you know, the LSAT, which I think they're trying to get rid of, which is pretty much biased. And um, so, so I didn't put too much emphasis on that. What I did was there was a program at um, uh, University of New Mexico that the BIA funds. Um, It's the pre-law summer Institute. And so it, it can be a place where if you, it mimics the first eight weeks of law school, so if you do well in that program, you can get recruited uh, from that program. Or like in my case, I applied to the University of New Mexico uh, Law School, and it was conditional on me. Acceptance was conditional on me get you know doing well in that program. So I did well in the program and got in. So so that that was how I got into to law school. Um, 
uh, and then, you know, I, I, I always think I, that I won the lottery. I mean, it's like, there's so many, how do you stand out in law school when you're interviewing for your first job? And, mm-hmm. and so I was, I, I say I won the lottery because I got into a firm, a law firm and, on a, and then on a um, partner shareholder track. And so that those opportunities are hard to get uh, those positions. And so I think one thing I, I did in, in law school was study areas of law that um, uh, would be useful for tribes, for representing tribes. Mm-hmm. So I studied a lot of uh, tax law and, um, and then wrote a, a memo regarding a sort of unique um, tax issue for tribes. And so that was that was caught the attention of the partners in um, the firm that I applied to, and and so I was um, invited to join. And it took a little while. I did not pass the bar the first time, yeah. um, and so it was you know oftentimes we like the bar prep and is expensive, and you still have to work, and and so I didn't have the you know the time that I, I needed to spend on it. So I had to t- make time for that with help from like family. And um, so got through that and got licensed and um, that's sort of the path there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what initially sparked your interest in law? I mean, we don't have, not to, to my knowledge, do we have any other lawyers in the family? Like, No, or... but, but we did have, so my father, your grandfather was um, Episcopal priest in, in, uh, from Pine Ridge and he, his mentor was Vine Deloria Sr., who was an Episcopal priest, and then his son, obviously, is Vine Deloria Jr. So we 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 were uh, he would often come to the house and visit, and so your brother and I would sit and listen, and so I, I was exposed to the development uh, early development of Indian law at as an adolescent, and so and then I I, I read a lot, and my dad had a in this a little a library. And one of the and he had all the books from buying Deloria, and one of them was uh, Custer Died for Your Sins, and so so that was and, and then at that time AIM was 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 developing, and uh, Russell Means is our is, is our cousin, um, and he because uh, his mother was a, uh, watched us when we were kids when my parents would travel to Peel, and so um, so the, so I saw that change. They were like um, white collar like educated California Indians and then they started growing the hair long and red shirts and vests and started going to powwows and so it was the first time really becoming um, overcoming that sort of um, stigma and that shame of like being an Indian and being proud and, and, and learning about the culture and um, participating in community events and and then activism and the, everything that AIM stood for and then what Vine Deloria and, and my father were doing with the, trying to, you know, going to Congress and getting, um, you know, with the development of, of Indian law. And back then there were probably just, you know, hand, not that many Indian attorneys. So they sort of pretty much laid the groundwork. So that's how I, I got interested. And I just, from that point on, I wanted to be an attorney. It just made sense. And and my mom said I argued all the time. So that made, it, made perfect sense to her. So um... that's funny. That's hilarious. That's yeah. also kind of why I was thinking about it too. Still, still in the back of my mind. Not quite sure, but 
yeah, always been a debater. We both are in the family. <laughs> but, we, you know, you taught me, I think one of the most important things you taught me is to make sure you know what you're talking about, um, <laughs> to back up your claims as a lawyer should. Um, yeah, so I guess, quick, I mean, just for my personal interest, um, what were the Delores like or what was um, Vine Deloria Jr. like? And how did, like, what kind of conversations did you overhear growing up? Or wh- were there things that, were discussed in, you know, your household that really kind of ignited a fire in you um, to do this type of work. And we have about like a minute or half, two minutes. So well, you would always- be self, the concept of self-determination. Mm-hmm. So to um, self-determination. So, so at the time, um, you know, Nixon was president and the, he passed the Indian self-determination and Education Act, and so money was set aside for stu- for Indian students to go to school, and and so the I think that the self determination and uh, uh, being able to articulate what sovereignty means for tribes, and and being able to um, protect your cultural identity and cultural artifacts, and to be able to have a government to be self governing. And so those were the concepts that um, that I remember um, being talked about, and, and then I also remember just the goofiness of um, the the they were great storytellers, and mm. just um, and would would often, especially their father, Bindler uh, Senior, would often people would gather from all over just to hear his stories, um, this, which which were just hilarious, and um, so that's what I remember. Wonderful. Well, great. Um, So we'll be right back after a short break, um, talking more with Susan Allen, who's a lawyer and also a former representative in the state Minnesota State Legislature. Um, So stay with us. Roll up your sleeves and enjoy some refreshments. On Friday, April 7th, the Indigenous Roots Cultural Center will offer free coffee and tea to anyone who gets a COVID vaccine between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. You'll also receive a $50 gift card. The event is open to the public, and while walk-ins are welcome, early registration is encouraged at interfaithaction.org. So protect yourself by getting vaccinated while enjoying some free coffee and tea. That's Friday, April 7th at the Indigenous Roots Cultural Center in St. Paul. Hey, it's Tom. Since 2009, All Energy Solar has been providing solar energy solutions to customers. With fully licensed electricians and installers, you can be sure that your solar installation will go smoothly. The team at All Energy Solar understands that every customer is unique. They'll take the time to survey and understand your property to find a solar solution that works for you. One of the biggest advantages of going solar is the opportunity to take advantage of the many solar incentives available. But it can often be confusing to know what you're qualified for. All Energy Solar Professionals will help you find out what savings you can apply for and even help with your applications. This is especially important since many rebate programs have limited capacity and are first come, first serve. So it's important to have a professional on your side who will make sure you get every eligible rebate. Get a free no obligation assessment from All Energy Solar's commercial solar specialists by calling 800 620 3370 or visit allenergysolar.com. Hey, AM 950 listeners, my name is JP Derbagosian, and I'm the host of This Queer Book Save My Life. 
the show that celebrates life-giving LGBTQ stories. Every Sunday, I talk with LGBTQ guests about the queer books that help us live and love with pride. This Sunday, I chat with Joe Perrazzo about Breaking the Surface by four-time Olympic gold medalist Greg Luganis, and Greg joins us for the conversation. And you can join us every Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hi, this is Chad from AM950. Snap Construction is arguably the most well-reviewed roofing, siding, window, and insulation contractor in the metro. Ryan is so excited about working with AM950 and our listeners that he wants to help us grow. This is Ryan, owner of Snap Construction. I was friends with Chad long before I started marketing with him. I was a bit skeptical of radio advertising before Chad convinced us to run ads. The advertising's been so successful, we want to help the station grow. We've absolutely loved working with the listeners of AM950, and we all know how extreme important this radio station is to the community. To help AM950 grow, Snap Construction will be putting up proceeds to assist the station in marketing on social media. Snap Construction encourages you to follow, engage, share, and interact on the AM950 social media platforms. Together, we can all work to ensure AM950 continues to thrive and grow in our communities. We stand by our work with a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee. For a free estimate or more information on our financing, call 612-333-SNAP or check us out online. Hey, it's Patrick for Zero Res. April is National Pet Month, and if you have furry, fluffy friends, you know they're not always careful about where they do their business. Plus, warmer weather is on the way, and that means they will be shedding that winter coat all over the carpets. But whether you're a pet owner or not, make sure to take advantage of Zero Rev showering April savings on you before the May flowers and the May pet fluff showering on your carpets not far behind. Get three rooms Zero Resified from the Twin Cities' number one carpet cleaner starting at just $129 and take $75 off your air duct cleaning this month to take care of pet dander and last year's pollen and other irritants before this year's flowers bloom. That's three rooms of the best clean you can buy for $129 and $75 off your air duct cleaning. Call 952-ZERO-RES or book your appointment at ZeroResMinnesota.com today. Backward or forward spells the same. Zero-Res. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for cloudy skies tonight with a low around 22, Thursday sunny with a high near 37, and Friday sunny with a high around 48. Clean ingredients and bold flavors are the hallmarks of 30 Bales and Hopkins. Their signature burgers, seasonal salads, and carefully crafted entrees celebrate the best of the Midwest. Located across the street from the Hopkins Center for the Arts at 1106 Main Street with plenty of free parking. More at 30bales.com. Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. This is Ogama Ganuakwe, and we're here today with a special interview with Zoe Allen and former Minnesota State Representative Susan Allen, both of the Sechongu Lakota Nation and White Earth Anishinaabe. Welcome back, and uh, stay tuned for the interview. This portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Clinic, honoring health and tradition. Buju relatives, this is Zoe Allen. I'm here with my aunt Susan Allen, um, who is a lawyer and also a former state rep in the Minnesota House. Um, We were just talking about before the break, um, Susan was just sharing some stories of growing up, um, talking with 
uh, Vine Deloria Sr. and Vine Deloria Jr. as they came over to her house often. And so she was just sharing some stories about that. And um, now I kind of thought, Susan, that we'd talk about, um, I mean, you've, you've done so much in your career as a lawyer, um, but then in, what was it? Was it 2009? That you became when was what year was that that you became? It was a special election, 2011. 2011, 2011. Mm-hmm. That you became a state representative in the House. Um, how did that start? Honestly, this will be news to me. I feel like I have never really asked you like how that all came to be, um, because you've been because pra- you had been practicing tribal tax law for I don't know how many years prior to that. Um, but how did you go from that position to, you know? wanting to become a politician? Mm-hmm. Well, I never stopped becoming, being a practicing attorney. So, so you can still, you know, you don't have to give up your employment or uh, to serve as a, in the house or as a politician. So, um, so it was, I think it, it, it was a surprise. It was not something that I really planned on or was really that interested in. Um, I, I don't think I've ever even been to the Capitol. And so, um, but uh, Karen Clark and, and um, Sharon Day uh, were aware that there was going to be an opening because Senator Berlin was retiring. So then uh, Jeff Hayden was going to run for the Senate seat. And so that his house, the House seat would open up. And I was living in Powderhorn, uh, where, and uh, Jeff Hayden lived in the central neighborhood. And so I was within the district. And so they were thinking, like, who could, who could run? And so Sharon Day and Karen asked me, because I had served on a board um, uh, with them. So I was, I, I knew them, they knew me. And so, so they asked if I would consider running. So, the, and that's usually how, especially women, I think that usually how it happens is somebody identifies them and then people ask them. Um, and so, and so then it just sort of started, um, you know, just everyone from Peggy Flanagan to Robert Lilligren and, um, Karen Clark and working on my campaign uh, committee and so teaching me the ropes and I went to um, Camp Wellstone and uh, Peggy Flanagan was actually the, the coach or the uh, teacher uh, for certain parts of the camp and so I so so I, I learned a lot from them and just pretty much did what they tell, told me to do and where to stand and what and what to say and so I, I just I had to learn a whole different language it was just um, you know I was always aware read a lot and was engaged and um, uh, but when you go to the capital and, and you're a, a DFL Democratic Farmer Labor Party person there's a there's a language and so the issues how people talk about the issues and so it was kind of a crash course and um, and so and so I think people were surprised that I got like but but because it was the first uh, Indian woman to be elected and um, uh, there weren't that many people of color in the legislature. It was probably about 98% white when I joined in 2011. And so, and so I think, I think looking back, I'm, I'm, I never stopped being an attorney. So I wasn't that great of a rep because, because it just, um, but what, what really I think made a difference was that people saw that somebody that was from a different background and uh, wasn't a polished politician could actually win, and it really wasn't about you know the money or the or the background. It was about you know just somebody who was 
who was engaged and who had a sense of of fighting for, in our district, it was about fighting for social and economic justice. And that's something we have in us growing up because we, we, it's just, we're, we're fighters. We had to be to survive. So, so it was something that came naturally to me, but, um, but I think what, what it accomplished was that people saw that if, if I could win, they could. And so, um, so I was happy to serve for, for three terms and, and a lot of the stuff that we worked on, um, issues like banning conversion therapy and um, restoring felony voting and um, expungement and um, driver's licenses, all those we were working on back then. So, you know, change is slow and, and all that's the current with the DFL having control of all three houses or the two houses and the and the. Uh, executive branch that those things are finally um, getting passed into law. So I'm, I'm very happy about to see that um, come about after so many people have been working, just they never stopped working on it, on those issues. So, um, and, you know, it took like a decade for um, that work to pay off. So. Right. And also, you know, along with being, like what you said, the first um, Native American woman to be elected into the House, right, um, in right. Minnesota. Um, you're also the first openly gay Native woman. And so I'm really curious to hear about how that also um, shaped things for you. And I just remember you getting sworn in under Abraham Lincoln in the Capitol. And that was just the craziest thing to see is this huge like, you know, um, portrait, of, portrait of him. And for our listeners that may not know, you know, Abraham Lincoln um, called for the execution of 38, um, actually 40 uh, Dakota men. Um, and it was a lot larger before that, actually. I think it was also going to be like 200, um, but it came down to 40. And that was, oh gosh, I don't have the year, but that was in Mankato, Minnesota, um, after the Dakota War. Um, so it was such a beautiful thing as your as your niece to be there to see um you step into that role but uh yeah i'm curious because it was yeah 2011 like what did that look like for you as also like a gay woman um yeah that's a i can talk a little bit about that and also just mention that um i think it was this the swearing in it was the first time that people could recall that a drum was brought into the chambers of the house and so we had a, a youth drum group. Uh, I think there's a YouTube video on it. And and also the 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 uh, symbolism of the of that weird Dakota also, and that Governor Ramsey Ramsey issue, whose picture is in the hall um, issued an exclusion order uh, for our people. And we actually had relatives that were at, around Perry Island that were um, were. Um, incarcerated and moved to uh, Nebraska and, and to um, to uh, South Dakota and, and ended up in Yankton. So 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 all of that was was um, to be able to I think what Sharon Dake described it best. And she said that at the end of my term, she said, thank you for bringing all of us with you there. And so I think it was something, you know, having a presence for for Indian people and um, and uh, tribal people in the state to be to feel like they were there and, and that it was a place that 
they were welcome and it was their house as well. And so, um, so that was, um, yeah, it was very, uh, very moving um, time, ceremony and time. So, so as far as being uh, gay out and always been out and, um, and I think it, um, it's just, for me, it's just it's been easier that way. And also it, I did it, I think the same thing like running that people could see that you do it. I also um, am out because I want um, it to be something safe for people to do. And I have the privilege where in my position and um, that it is safe for me, but it's not safe for everyone. And so, um, so, so it was important for me to, to be out um, so that others can, you know, safely at some point where we're all working for and especially transgender. Um, and so, so I think it, so going to the legislature, I think um, sort of, you know, shatters sort of people's stereotypes of, of, of um, LGBTQ people. And that, um, because it's so much, it's so easy for them to say that they're to categorize us as others and they don't have to deal with us. But when you're right there in the same space that they are, and they have to deal with you on, you know, a civil way and on terms um, that are important. I think it, that that makes a difference. So you, when you join a place where you've been excluded, you change that place forever. Um, and so, um, so I think that's important. Uh, right now, it's amazing because there's 12 members of the LGBTQ caucus at the legislature right now, which and this just happened in less than 10 years and there are and there's another native woman representative keeler from moorhead area who's in the house and jamie becker finn and then we have uh um, senator kunish who's the first american any woman or first any woman to be in this as a state senator which um so so it's still you know so that so that they're the they're the true um uh the ones that are really um skilled in you know learning that way of a politician and, and gaining influence so i'm really happy that they're mm-hmm. they're there and um that they took this you know that they've made this commitment to to serve long term and um so we can all be thankful for that right right and i was just um trying to get the name right too of uh, alicia kolosinski um they are two-spirit um or they identify as two-spirit and they're from duluth um Mm -hmm. and yeah so they're in the minnesota house now too um yeah i mean i think it's really important to just acknowledge the fact that yes like while you say like heather keeler and you know kunish they're the ones that are like really getting down to like writing bills and are are really out there fighting for us, but you open the door to make that happen. You know, like there always has to be a first, you know, there always has to be the the person that's not, that that's willing to bear all of that because I'm sure, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear. I mean, we have about a minute left and we can talk about it in the next segment too, but um, was there pushback or did you, did you receive any kind of discriminatory, um, I guess, opinions from people or did you, or was it just so much support that you weren't, you know, you didn't really pay attention to that? Well, I think initially when I was running, people were um, concerned because they they say, well, you know, that's fine. She'll do great things for any people, but what's she going to do for us? 
And so I think, I think, but then not realizing that, you know, that we live in our communities, you know, so I lived in Powderhorn and it fit within, you know, my values to say it was an LGBTQ community and it was also um, fairly diverse and it was, you know, so, so I was a part of that community and participated as, you know, an Indian person. Um, and so it, 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 so it was just, it was just sort of, um, people had to sort of wait and see that would I represent their interests as well. So that's the, you know, the balance because we're, we're, I think we come from districts where they're very progressive. So we're allowed, you know, the, um, we can, um, any sort of, you know, for any people, it's about economic and justice. And so, so that is something it fits within their values. So they have no issue with it. Um, so, but at the same time, you're, you're, you know, you have, uh, average house member has 35,000 constituents. So you can imagine what um, different needs and, um, that you have to be responsive to. And so I think, you know, after a while, people realize that, you know, that you can be more than one thing. Right. Right. Definitely. Duality is really important. Um, Miigwech, um, we're going to be right back here with Susan Allen um, after a short break. So please stay with us. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Your Blue Line Extension Project wants to hear from you. We are working on extending the Blue Line Light Rail into North Minneapolis, Robbinsdale, Crystal, and Brooklyn Park, and connecting it to our growing transit system. Tell us about your neighborhood, your business, your family, and what you need from your Blue Line. Learn more and share more of your story at yourblueline.org. That's yourblueline.org. Roll up your sleeves and enjoy some refreshments. On Friday, April 7th, the Indigenous Roots Cultural Center will offer free coffee and tea to anyone who gets a COVID vaccine between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. You'll also receive a $50 gift card. The event is open to the public, and while walk-ins are welcome, early registration is encouraged at interfaithaction.org. So protect yourself by getting vaccinated while enjoying some free coffee and tea. That's Friday, April 7th at the Indigenous Roots Cultural Center in St. Paul. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live and and let howl. I'm Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, and you are listening to Native Roots Radio. We are Alusa Nation.
Welcome back to Nativeverse Radio Presents I'm Awake. I'm Olga Muganuakwe, and we're here with our final segment of an interview with Zoe Allen and former Minnesota State Representative Susan Allen, who was the first uh, Native woman in the Minnesota House of Representatives. Here we go. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Oh! oh. So we're here with um, my aunt, Susan Allen. This is Zoe Allen. Um, she is a uh, lawyer. Um, she's also been a state representative in the Minnesota House. Um, and before the break, we were just talking a little bit about what that experience was like um, and how much has changed since she was elected into office in 2011. Um so, Susan, you were mentioning, I think I don't want to get the number wrong. Did you say 12 members of the LGBTQ caucus now? Yeah, I believe it's like 11 or 12, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and one of them is um, does identify as Two-Spirit. And so I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, but before we get into that, uh, what were some of the issues that were really important for you um, during your term and what are some of the things that you follow now that may be happening in the house or just at the state level? Well, the, at, when, at the time I was there, it was the, in 2012, we then had, it was similar to now we had the um, majority in the house, the Senate, and then the governor obviously was, was democratic or DFL. And so we were able to pass significant legislation. And, and the one thing that we passed was the marriage equality so I was able. I was one of the lucky ones to be able to vote for um, for marriage equality, and um, and so the, so the issues. You know, I as as an Indian person, um, a, a lot of um, resistance comes from you know being uh, the pressure to be assimilated, and so and so making sure that um, that we have um, in all in policies that the legislature adopts. Or laws that are passed, that that they're that um, different groups are recognized, um, so that when so that the way you administer services, mental health services, health services, transportation, um, uh, judicial system, that it 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 can it recognizes that there are issues that are specific to certain populations, so certain. Um, Communities of color, uh, LGBT, and also uh, those with disabilities, um, and so make so those those are the, the the things I focused on was was trying to be inclusive so that those those groups uh, were considered in all policies, and I think at the time you saw that that there was a commitment to do that as far as from the governor and the commissioners of the different agencies to be more inclusive. And to start to hire people that reflected those communities, and to study um, into um, uh, those issues. So, so I think that those are the things I worked on, just you know, day to day stuff like just making, bringing about awareness to those issues. And then, you know, with assimilation, it was like marriage was not something like it wasn't marriage. We, you know, we don't have any as LGBT. We didn't. We weren't. We weren't able to participate in it and it kind of had been sort of become this 
heterosexual thing that it's like, okay, so I, I, I want to, do I really want to be, have marriage equality? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and my answer was like, no, not really. I mean, I don't really want to like have the, you know, I'd have to figure out a way to, to have um, develop new, you know, customs or like, how, what does that look for me? And, but mm -hmm. then at the, at the end of the day, you know, it's like the, we needed marriage equality because people's rights were being denied. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, for housing and for hospital visits and for um, just, and, and then just the, the respect and recognition of, mm -hmm. of, of a union. So, so, so it was, you know, important um, to vote for that and, and to, um, and, and realize that, you know, we don't have to give up our, um, uh, you know, we shouldn't have to give up who we are to participate in um, civilized society. I mean, to be accepted, we shouldn't have to conform in order to, to be given equal rights. And so, so I was comfortable with that. And so I was able to vote on that. And so being two spirit was something that, you know, I just um, talked about some and it, it, it really, it, it goes, it's, it's, it's sort of a, it's a really more complex nuanced discussion that it's hard to have at the legislature because, um, you know, for, for Indian people in our history, the, it wasn't about LGBT, it wasn't about sexual orientation, it was about gender and mm -hmm. gender uh, freedom. And so that when, when, a, when a person, um, a child expressed male or female qualities that 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 wasn't suppressed and so that you know the so that it was encouraged for that in child to be able to express their gender and so and so if a if a if a child wanted to express a more female gender and then marry a man they weren't considered gay necessarily they were mm -hmm. it was considered just just um accepted because they were acting according to their gender and mm -hmm. so about um, uh, sexual orientation. So, so I, I like the term two spirit because it recognizes that we're, we're all sort of on a spectrum and that we, um, you know, both men and women would benefit from, from being able to understand and listen to, um, people's perspectives that, um, that are maybe male or female perspectives and also ways of being. And so how do you affirm, you know that in 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 young boys and girls and those that are gender nonconforming um, to be able to um, support them, and it's not about you know surgery, it's not about drugs. I mean, all those things have their place, but but it's just really about just affirming who people are and accepting you know how they exp want to express themselves without judgment or you know shame or so so that. Those are the kind of. That's why I like the two spirit. Um, doesn't uh, mm -hmm. talk about that framework rather than about sexual orientation because right. who cares about you know sexual orientation is private. It's mm -hmm. a, but 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 gender is something that we all, you know, it's, it's very much um, who we are. Right. I can't remember who said it. Oh, it might have been Judith Butler, but. Gender is social, you know, gender is something we use to engage with other people. And it also sets rules for us in society, unfortunately, um, dependent on what gender 
we are. And I've been trying to explain to other relatives of mine just what the social construct of gender is, because just that statement in itself is sometimes really hard for people to wrap their brains around because we're not used to talking that way, especially as Native people. Um, and people look at me and like, what do you mean? Like, say what you mean. And um, I was just thinking about how two-spirit people also had, I mean, it's a spiritual role too in, in traditional communities and that two-spirit people um, were able to go into families that had lost a loved one and take on that role so that that family could grieve and, and do what they needed to do to honor their, their loved one. And then that two-spirit relative would take on, could take on whatever role because they're two-spirit and the gendered rules um, were different for them. And um, I just think that you speak to a really important point in just saying that it's about how we express ourselves and it's about um, how we identify as indigenous people and not so much about our sexuality because it kind of seems like in today's world and, and it's totally warranted. Um, it just kind of all gets lumped into the same category of like LGBTQ issues when it's like, yes, but also really deeply spiritual um, and only indigenous people can identify as two spirit and two spirits also like a relatively new term too. I mean, I don't know how long ago it came about, but um no, really important to speak about. Um, I guess for our last couple minutes here, we have about like two minutes left. Um, is there anything else you would want to leave um, with our listeners today? Is there any advice, especially for, I always ask for the youth, um, is there any advice you would give them um, if they wanted to pursue the type of path that you, you have done? Yeah, it, again, going back to 